Luke chapter 4, as I've been kind of going through this stuff uh, in preparation, I just, I feel like I got to slow down. I feel like I got to stop and, and narrow and hone in a little bit on the, on the area of temptation and testing because I feel like this is, this is something we are going through every single day in our walk as Christians and to really unpack it. I mean, you could spend a year just on one of these verses unpacking all the theological truths, and that's not what I'm hoping to do this morning uh, or in a year, but I, I do feel like we need to slow down and really look at what the core of temptation is. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, if you were with us last week, you are going to remember that the word tempted in the original Greek can be translated either tempted or tested. Tempted or tested. And this is why some of your Bibles, if you look at the the man-made headings, on the top of Luke chapter 4, it'll either say something like Satan tempts Jesus or Jesus tested in the wilderness. You have different headings there at the top, which is right. Yes. And so an important biblical truth for us to remember is that God tests and Satan tempts. God tests and Satan tempts. And we know this from James chapter 1, verse 13, beginning in verse 13, where it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And so we find that temptation doesn't come from God, but it originates from within each of us, and the devil will lure and entice us in an attempt to seek us to undermine God's word to us. And that is really at the core of what temptation is, the propensity for our will to go against God's will, which is his word. And we know this since we were little kids, our parents say, do not touch, and what do we want to do? I want to touch. Amen? My will against my parents' will. Well, where do you think that came from? Your parents <coughs> and their parents. And in, in here in the beginning of Luke 4, we're going to see Satan seeking to try to get Jesus to go against the will of his Father. And that's the core of what temptation is. And so where the Spirit of God was leading Christ to be tested and proven to be true, Satan will take that same opportunity to tempt Jesus and to undermine him. Now it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was full of the Spirit, and was tempted for 40 days. And what we're going to read here is just a snapshot of what happened at, at the end of those 40 days, but it's just a synopsis of what the whole thing was like. And we know that Jesus endured every single kind of temptation, only the, even though we are only just shown in this, these verses just three. And Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, yet he did not sin in every single way, yet was without sin. And so there, 
are three temptations that Luke gives us here. Last week, we focused just basically on the testing and temptation, and this week, we're going to focus on this first temptation of Christ, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the words of the Spirit, and that we will recognize and overcome temptation as we follow in Christ's footsteps. So, Luke verse 4, chapter 2, it says, He, Jesus, ate nothing during those days, those 40 days, and at the end of them, He was hungry, no kidding, Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of man, tell this stone to become bread. Now, it's clear that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He's being led by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is fasting. He's fasting, that he was willfully not eating for 40 days. Now, fasting is a fascinating subject. And to be brief, in one aspect of it, it is denying oneself the basic desires for food and other things for a season to seek the Lord and to bring a greater distinction between the things of the flesh and the spirit. Let me develop this for a second. We know that we are created in the image of God. The Bible says we're created in the image of God, but the Bible also teaches in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. And so... We are also spirits created in His likeness. In God's design for us, He gave us the ability to express who we are, our actual spirits, in this physical world and that we have been born into so that we have bodies that will animate who we truly are. Does that make sense a little bit? I know it's really hard. We think we're all just one thing. But we actually are a spirit, and we have a body that expresses who we are. And it's kind of like software and hardware. Software tells the hardware what to do and how to act. It's kind of like um, the driver gets into the car and, and directs the car where to go. It was never God's desire that the hardware control the software, it was never God's desire that the car drives the driver. That was never God's des- desire. It was never God's desire that men would be led, uh, led by their desires, their God-given desires, now broken under sin, and be led by their emotions and their ambitions and all these types of things, but rather that they would be led in our spirits, as we're ruled by the Spirit of God, that those things would be governed by our spirits and express that rule through us. And so God created the first man and the woman, Adam and Eve, uh, with spirits controlled, that controlled their bodies that were subject to His Spirit. It was something like we had never experienced before on earth. Absolute harmony, what we all wish for. <laughs> and so their bodies, with their various drives, God gave them drives and their desires and their emotions and their various feelings were subject to their spirit, which was ruled by God. Isn't that awesome? And as this was, and this is what God's design was for us, but in Genesis chapter 3, we read how Satan tempted Eve, and she and Adam sinned, and when that happened, the part of them that ruled their spirit, it died. The part that was supposed to be in charge, so to speak, died. The software got a virus. 
Make sense? Now, God had said to Adam and Eve, on the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die. We have a problem because they didn't drop dead. So was God lying? No, he wasn't. And they sinned. Adam and Eve, they fell into temptation. They sinned, and sin gave birth to death, spiritual death, and they were no longer ruled by the Spirit of God. They were, no, they were now ruled by their flesh and its drives and their emotions. That's what happened. And we're all descendants of Adam, and therefore we too are spiritually dead descendants of Adam, ruled by our flesh, not by the Spirit. And so this is basically what the Bible calls being spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 really lays this out. If you're taking notes, I would write, underline that and turn there um, and, and read it for yourself. But Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, As for you, put your name in there. As for you, you were dead in your tres- transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So you've got the world, you've got the devil. The spirit who now is at the work at work in the sons of who are disobedient. And all of us, verse 3, lived among them at one time, gratifying our the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. We weren't ruled by the Spirit of God, we we're ruled by our desires, our flesh, our cravings. And by nature, we were in rebellion towards God, deserving wrath. And so that's the big problem. We're spiritually dead, but verse 4 is the hope. How many of you want to hear the hope? Please, Lord, I know about the death. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Aren't you thankful He's rich in mercy? How many of you like... A poor, merciful, I don't, I don't have much mercy for you. I like these rich, like he's got bank accounts of mercy, just needing to be spent and given away. I love that about the Lord. But because of his great love for us, for you, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Isn't that awesome? And see, the solution to spiritual death is that we must be what? Made alive. We must be born again, as Jesus put it. We must be born of the Spirit. Not physically, but spiritually. You see, the carnal man, the person who is not born again, they, they do not have victory over temptation. They cannot have victory over temptation. They cannot have victory over the flesh. It's They're incompatible. They need new software. Amen? Religion is trying to get dead people to live spiritually if we're not careful. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let me say from the outset, 
that that solution to having victory over sin in your life is not trying really hard. It is being born again. It is being born of the Spirit of God, being given new life. It's not reformation. It's transformation. It's a total replacement program. If you don't have new life, you're just a descendant of Adam, which we all were and we all have done. We all know that life. Spiritually dead by nature and powerless over temptation. And you're ruled by your fallen flesh, its desires and your thoughts and its fallen emotions and all that. And so when I come to people and I meet people who are in crisis and they're addicted or whatever it might be, you can give them a lot of steps to things, but ultimately what, the way people have victory over the flesh is not just by programs and all this type of stuff. It is being changed at the core of who they are. They need a new nature. They need the nature of Christ within them. So that is what we preach. Christ crucified a new nature. So the person who's driving you crazy, are they dead as a doornail and you're expecting them to act spiritually? You know, you get that when you come to the church. Well, why don't they just get in line and do all the churchy stuff? They're dead. Or they're little babies in Christ and they don't know how to walk yet. They haven't been taught. And I feel the same way sometimes, amen? But you see, if you're born again, you, like Jesus, will be filled with the Spirit. You'll be led by the Spirit. And you will have power over temptation in the enemy. Amen? You see, Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. He didn't come to make bad men and women good. He came to make dead men and women live. He came to give them life. And so Jesus is fasting. He's purposefully denying his natural desires so that the Spirit would have supremacy. Some church fathers say that the original sin of man was that Eve and Adam broke the fast. That's a little bit of a Catholic slant on that. It's kind of fun because we're in Lent right now. Or... But the, the, the original sin was that they gave in and they ate when God said for them not to. I want you to withhold that from that. I want you to not go that way. Is there anything wrong with eating fruit? No. But it went against his will and what he had said. And so Jesus hasn't eaten for a long, long time. The Spirit has led him into fasting. And so Jesus' flesh is crying out, I want a macho burrito with shredded chicken and guacamole and a horchata, please. You know, I mean, he's just, I mean, I wouldn't do like a loaf of bread. I would, <laughs> I would be, Okay. And the devil says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, in the last chapter, 
we see the heavens open up at Jesus' baptism. The Father cries out from heaven and says, This is my Son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. It's, that's, it's obviously that, Je- obvious that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil knows the Bible. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's going to redeem Israel. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who's going to establish the kingdom. And Satan's reason for tempting Jesus is to thwart God's plan for redeeming mankind and reestablishing God's kingdom on earth and in the hearts of men. He wants to undermine that. Now, how is he going to do that? For those of you who were there this past Wednesday, we learned a lot that Satan's goal is to usurp God and his rule wherever it is. That's just who he is. Wherever it is, whether it's on he- in heaven or on earth or in your heart, Satan desires to come and usurp his rule within your life, within this earth and within he- the heavens. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 speaks of Satan's uh, mission statement. This is the poster he has on his office. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you set in your heart. This is what Lucifer said, Satan, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. That is at the core of your enemy's heart. That is his mission to seek to become like the Most High. But it says, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And so Satan seeks to make himself like the Most High. And so Satan is attacking Christ because God's Son is about to do God's will. That's what he's about, right? Jesus is all about exalting God the Father by doing what he wants and by redeeming, specifically, mankind, and Jesus is headed towards the cross. That's where he's headed. And to accomplish God's will, what is Jesus going to have to do? This is big. He's going to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and follow God's will to the point where he will deny himself to the point where he will lay his own life down and die. He will die upon the cross. And so the cat's out of the bag. Jesus is God's son. Satan knows it. Jesus knows it. And so it isn't that Satan is questioning that. He's saying to Jesus, you have all the authority. You have all the power. The spirit fields you. He led you out here. He led you into the fast where your flesh is starving. Stop denying yourself. You don't have to suffer satisfy that hunger, let the flesh rule. You see, Satan knows where Jesus is at. He's headed to the cross. And the devil hits Jesus with temptation where he is feeling weak. Where he's feeling weak. And the same is for us. He knows God's plan and he sees God's rule in your life. And he knows the potential that you have to glorify God. Amen? And so he's going to hit you where you're weak. 
Can any of us relate this morning? Where are you weak? If you don't know where you're weak, you're going to find out. Perhaps you started seeking the Lord. Run, if, 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 am, I, am I the only person who does this? I start seeking the Lord. I start going after God. God starts leading me, and then all of a sudden, I find that within my heart, within my life, within my circumstances, there's a lack of something. And I need to overcome that lack in order to accomplish what God has called me to do. There's always the cross. There's always the denial of self. And these things can be good things. But they're out of season and out of place and out of step with what God has said in your life at the moment. And you start to go out in that direction and you realize that there's areas in your life that need to be denied in order to accomplish God's will. How many of us want to just do our life and as God fits in, that's Christianity. And that is a powerless church. And that is a powerless walk. And that is a defeated life. I'm speaking personal experience. Perhaps right now you're hungering for something. I'm not talking about the burrito. Maybe I am. But you're hungering for something, and, and that something isn't necessarily wrong, right? But it isn't God's will for the season. It isn't His timing. And you're feeling the hunger pains, and then you start to burn. And you've been going days without this need being met in your life. And lo and behold, the enemy shows up with a Big Mac on a platter. You know, I experience this every time we're supposed to pray every other Saturday morning. Anyone else? I mean, working hard all week. It's winter. I'm, I don't do well in winter. I'm tired. It's 7 a.m. You know, I've got to be here at 7 to pray for an hour. I just want to sleep. Is there anything wrong with sleeping in? When, when you've worked hard and, or whatever it might be. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, why can't we just change the day and the time and the hour? Amen? Yeah, we get up to go to work Monday through Friday, <laughs> whatever time, right? I'm just saying I, I, I struggle with it, amen? And, you know, it's just one of those mornings that comes along where everything is quiet and you're warm and you're actually in that deep comatose sleep and it just comes along once every other Saturday. (laughs) And the tranquility and it's... uh. And so there's a personal example of where the enemy hits, hits me. You know? Um... Seeking to undermine God's will for my life. If I don't get up and pray, how do I, am I supposed to expect my sheep to get up and pray? Amen? <laughs> doesn't want me to deny myself. And believe me, I'm, I'm a hypocrite and, I, and God's working on me. So it's not that I'm just saying, can you relate? Is there anything wrong with sleeping in on a Saturday? No, there's not. But when the Lord says to get up and go pray, you get up and go pray. And I remember 
when the Lord brought me out of the world. You know, I was saved when I was four, but I went away for a long, long, long time. When he brought me out of, you know, just a horrific life of bondage and just evil. And God allowed in that transition time uh, just a real season in my life of loneliness. And there was a lot of loneliness as he was pulling me out of that old life, out of the old world, which we'll talk about in a second. But I was, I was beginning to follow God, and I was entering the wilderness of loneliness. Anybody else experienced that before? And I began to see during that time in that wilderness, as God was pulling me away from other relationships and all these things, I'd be able to see for once with clarity I was, I, I was able to see what in the world I was involved in and what I was doing and why I was doing it. And God was beginning to, to, to shine light into my, into my life that I hadn't had, I didn't give him time or space to do. And some people have gone just from one relationship to the other and they never know themselves. They never know God. They never know the purpose of things. There, aren't, there isn't insight and wisdom in those areas and God brought me into a wilderness where there was just space and time as he began to separate what was of the flesh and what was of the spirit because God doesn't want you to not have relationships in your life amen created us for relationships correct amen But I began to see the depth of my sin and the direction of my life and how good the Lord was and how merciful He was and had been to me. And there was a great lack, though, and there was loneliness. And guess what happens, happened to me during those times? All of a sudden, all the people from the old life that wouldn't give me the time of day, as soon as I started to step towards the Lord, guess what happened? All the phone calls came all the concern came, you want to hang out, and all this stuff, and all the, and the temptation, and free drugs, or whatever you want, it's just all there. All the people that Satan had in his pocket, he pulled out when he needed to deal them. When I started to be moved and led by the Spirit in my life. And the temptation was for me to go and to go grab onto that to meet that temporary need in my life, to go grab and, and just bake the bread, so to speak. Instead of the denial of self and leaning into the cross of loneliness, identifying with Jesus Christ and letting him work that out in and through my life. You see, if I had just bought the bread... I would have missed all that God had for me, his family, my family. True friends, true brothers, true sisters. You know, and, and I would be ill-equipped to then go back and, and help people in the wilderness of loneliness in those circumstances and to let them know Continue to lean on the cross. Continue to deny yourself. Continue to give up that relationship that'll just destroy you. God is good. He is faithful. He's working out something in you and through you. Just lean into him. Don't give in to the enemy. Let the flesh sizzle. Let the Lord nail you to the cross 
be crucified with Christ. No longer live, but let Christ live within you. You see, we need to recognize that Satan's going to play upon our desires, even seemingly good ones. He needs to, you know, seek to undermine God's will in our lives somehow in some way, and he's going to go for it. And so we need to recognize that that is what Satan is doing. He's going to try to get us to put the natural above the spiritual church. And here's the principle. He's going to try to get us to put the natural above the spiritual all the time. All the time. That is what he is, that's what he's about. Satan will try to get us to be a, become a church of Esau's. Now, do you even know what that means? Let me give you, that's a little obscure reference there, but Esau's the Jacob's brother who gave up his spiritual, who gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. He came in and he was hungry and he wanted to eat now and he didn't care what in the world the consequences were. He had to satisfy his flesh. Give me that soup. And Jacob took advantage of him and said, okay, well, give me your birthright. Okay, I'll do it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he wept, but he could not change what he had done. Satan's going to try to get us to be a group of people who live after the bread and not the spirit. You see, Christ came that we would have abundant life. We're honing it down now. Christ came that we would have abundant life. An abundant life is life by the spirit. There are people and preachers out there that are telling you the abundant life is, is bread. That's what they preach. Joel Osteen, it's about bread. I'm telling you guys, People will start talking to you about material possessions and if you just have faith and seed blessing and all this weird stuff, it's from the pit of hell. It's not what Jesus came to proclaim. This is not your home. This is not what the life is all about. doesn't mean we don't live in it and manage it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying possessions are bad. I'm not a Gnostic. But when they are what we're after instead of the things of the Spirit, when they are what controls, when that is what's in charge instead of the software, when the hardware rules instead of the software, that is out of line and that is out of order. That is not what God intended for us. And we reap the, the, the consequences. What God has for you is the Spirit-led, the Spirit-directed life. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, if you put to death the misdeeds, if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. Amen. I like that. I want that. So Jesus answered Satan, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And some of your translations add, and some of your translations will add because they want to give you the full deal, but on every, other, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So man shall not live on bread alone, but from every 
word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. You see, there are two types of people. There's two types of people. People who live on bread alone and people who live on the bread of life. It's, there's just two types of people. Yes, we have natural bread. That's not saying. But there's people who live for bread alone and there's people who live. Their sustenance is, on, is, is found in Jesus Christ on everything he says. And if you are a spiritually dead person, you're going to be ruled by spiritually dead food. The food of this world, the bread of this world. And this is what scriptures call being carnally minded, being a meathead. Carnal, carne, carne asada, meat. Thank you. Mind on the things of the flesh, right? As utmost importance. But if you're born and led of the Spirit, you will be fed and led by spiritual food, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and you will be spiritually minded. Things will be in order. Deuteronomy 8.3 that Jesus was quoting to refute Satan, this is the full, part, the full verse. It says, He humbled you, causing you, speaking to the children of Israel, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, God delivered his people out of the bondage of Egypt through signs and wonders. The people of God were slaves for the better part of 400 years in Egypt. 400 years. The bondage became so great, they called out to God, and God raised up a deliverer, Moses. And see, the whole time this story is going on, God is using this as an analogy and as a picture of what God has done with us. Egypt is a type of the world. It is a type of sin in Scripture. And the people of God were under the bondage of Israel. They were under the bondage of the world. And the deliverer had to become and raised up to take them out of the bondage of sin. And he did. And they went through the Red Sea which is a picture of what? Baptism. And then they enter into the wilderness. Interesting, how long were they into the wilderness? For 40 years. Why were they into the wilderness for 40 years? Because they complained. Because they murmured. God wanted to drive them into the promised land, but what does it say? They had disbelief. They didn't believe in the Lord. They longed for the things of Egypt. They longed for the flesh in the world rather than the things in, of the Spirit. I know I'm speaking in pictures. That's what, it's, what it gets to. It says in Exodus 16, 3, it says, it records their complaints. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve. This entire assembly, we're all going to die. Any of you have that kind of thing going on when God brings you into a place of want? Why haven't you given me this? Why don't I have this? Is this better? Blah, blah, blah. And you have this, what do you know? And we forget God has delivered us from such great bondage. 
Such horrific weight upon us. Gone. He led us to the Red Sea. Our sins are no more. Hooray! And here we are in the land that God has called us to, taking us to the promised land, which we have not seen. And yet, we're in the wilderness. What are we going to live on? What do we live on? The things of Egypt? He brought you in the wilderness so you live on manna. What is manna? That's what manna means. What is it? What, does it mean? what is it? It was something that came down every single day and stuck to the ground and they grabbed it off and ate it. And they couldn't hoard it. They couldn't keep it because guess what would happen? It would rot and get maggots and worms or whatever it was. You could just eat it for then. It was, there were no preservatives. You had to go out and get it every morning. And it would sustain you through that day. And then they'd collect twice as much on the Sabbath and somehow miraculously would... It would, it would there. And then Jesus goes on in John chapter 6. And this is where he got everybody upset. He's speaking to everybody. And he says, well, there's a dialogue between he and the people. And the people are like, hey, well, show us a sign. Our, our relatives, they, they ate manna. You know, that was the big sign. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And they go, what in the world are you talking about? He says, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. They're going, what are you talking about? We're not going to eat your flesh and drink your blood. You're weird. Do something. Meet my need. Give me some bread. Jesus says the words I'm speaking to are spirit. See, they couldn't hear spiritual words. They were so focused on the dumb bread in front of them. They couldn't understand that he was, they, were, they were speaking about their soul and eternity and whoever eats and drinks in my blood. Well, you'll have real life. And then he goes on and says, unless the Father brings you to me, you can't come. Unless the Spirit awakens us to the fact that we're dead and we need him, we're not, we can't be awakened from this death. And I know that's a crazy theology that we like get to get into. But these people in the wilderness, they made golden calves. They forgot. They decided to go back. They were living off physical bread. And Satan is seeking to undermine you, church. He's seeking for you to put things above the things of the Spirit. He's seeking for you to just live by your stomach and by your, your, your life or whatever it might be instead of seeking the Lord every single morning and saying, what is life today, Lord? What does it look like? Where am I going? What do I do? With all that you've given me, my body is yours, my time, my car, my money, my resources, whatever, it's all yours. I don't care if I don't have to do this if I have to let these people down, if this is that, you are in charge. You are life. Lead me. That's the Spirit-led life. That's following after Jesus Christ. You see, it's going to feel like the cross. And that's what Satan was getting at. If you can just, Jesus, just take your authority and power and use it to feed yourself, then you won't go to the cross. 
because that's going to be something bigger. And how many of us have settled for something that the Satan just pops right in front of us and we go after it and we lose out on what God really wanted to do for our lives? I think there'll be a day when we stand before the throne, when we all give an account, and there'll be great weeping as the fire of Christ burns through our works and our motives. And we'll be saved, sure, but as by fire the scriptures say. And what's left will only be that which was gold and silver and precious stones, not the wood, hay, and stubble life. So church, this morning I... I know I'm kind of going a lot of things and we only went over two verses. But they're deep and they're profound. What's your bread? Let me ask you the hard question. Where's your weakness? Where's the enemy put something in your path that's gotten you off? And let me tell you, to get back on, it's going to probably feel like losing your life for some of you. But unless you lose your life, you're not going to find it. Meaning, denying yourself and saying, Lord, take this as much as I want it, as much as I, I desire it, as much as I feel like I need it, I'm going to lay it down to you and I'm going to surrender. Take over and I'm going to go through the wilderness and I'm going to hurt and I'm going to feel the pain of the cross knowing that in your time and in your will, you will truly satisfy the deepest longings of my heart as they line up with your will. Amen? So, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.